Hello and welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast. We're on a mission to optimize our lives through faith, health, wisdom, and much more. Thank you for joining us on our journey. Here now is our host, Nick Carlisle. What is good, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. As always, my name is Nick Carlisle. And I have the pleasure of being your host as we work together to optimize our lives through any means possible. This episode is brought to you by MyLifeEnchanted.com, which is my newly released website where you can find all things related to the Life Enchanted movement. I have my blog on there that I post to frequently. You can sign up for my email newsletter on there for exclusive content. You can connect to my social media accounts, check out some healthy snack recipes, visit the Creation Admiration Store and find out how you can help support what I'm doing through Patreon. There's a lot more on there as well. The website is constantly being updated and improved, and if you've liked any of the podcast episodes thus far, it's highly likely that you'll enjoy the content that is on there, especially the blog and the email newsletter. Also, please leave a rating and possibly a review of the podcast on whatever platform you're using. Your feedback helps other people discover the show and join the movement. My guest for this episode is the spoken word artist, writer, and poet, Levi McAllister, a.k.a. Levi the Poet. I really enjoyed talking to Levi because him and I are very similar, which you'll probably get a feel for in this episode. He's passionate about mental health, he has a powerful story, he's strong in his faith, and he's on a mission to better himself and use his platform to better the world around him. I'm stoked for you guys to listen to this, so without further ado, Levi the Poet, ladies and gentlemen. For a split second, as I watched the last of her craft fall beneath the surface of the water, I thought that we are all only stones in the ocean, and maybe it didn't matter that much whether we lived or died, but she was right about taking thoughts captive. I am lonely, and I can't reconcile loneliness with meaninglessness because like beauty, it leaves me wanting for more. She is still a decision that floats out like debris on ripples that began at her stone's throw. You were a mountain to me. I'm curious to know when you started writing, man. When when did Levi McAllister start becoming Levi the Poet? (laughs) Well, I've got two separate answers. Uh, I started writing when I was a little kid, fifth grade was the first time that I ever remember. Um, Maybe actually, no, probably even sooner than that, like elementary school. I remember sitting in the back of my parents' vineyard church in Palmdale, Lancaster, California, and writing a poem. Um, (laughs) What did that poem entail? What what sparked your interest in writing that poem? So my dad was a missions pastor and ran a school of ministry for that church about 45 minutes outside of town on a 365 acre ranch that a bunch of students from all over the world would fly out to and live and work on for about three months was kind of the that's cool semester's length and uh they would go to the school and you know, be ranch hands. And, uh, there was a, there were a few people, I mean, there were, there were a lot of people who came over the years, but a couple who really introduced me to music and specifically hip hop. And, um, I kind of just fell in love with the lyricism. Uh, I would walk around as like a four or five, six year old, (laughs) like rapping lyrics and stuff (laughs) to, uh, old, old, like underground CCM stuff and stuff like that, you know? And, um, and so I think I got in, 
you know, I think I started jotting my own things down from there. And then that piece specifically, because I was a pastor's kid and a missionary's kid at that, my dad was like, he, his work was mostly in Asia, Southeast Asia. And so I wrote this uh, poem about how uh, Jesus was going to save everybody. And <laughs> I framed it for my mom at some point for like a gift for her. And she loves it. It was hanging in her bathroom for a long time. That's awesome. She's like, oh, you, you should share this with people. But I'm, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm like in third or fourth grade at that point, And I'm using... I mean, I was a little kid and it was innocent, but yeah. at this point in time, if I were to share it, it would be um, very racially uh, derogatory. <laughs> Some of the language that I used to try to describe the people who Jesus was saving, I was like, no, nah, mom, I think we'll just keep that between you and me. But uh... um, so I started, I started there and then fast forward years later, I wrote kind of all the way up through middle and high school. And when I graduated from high school i uh i was going to the university in new mexico for about a semester i hated it and i dropped out i moved away did an internship at a music magazine and when i came back home started helping out with shows uh that some friends of mine were promoting in the hardcore scene here and it was kind of around that time that um a, yeah a couple of guys and some bands around town offered to have me be a part of their shows and yell things at people during set changes. We had seen Bradley Hathaway do a similar thing back in the day when he was on the road with Blindside and the Chariot. And uh, I loved that. So yeah, it kind of, it kind of just, it was an invitation from some friends that I ended up being terrified of. I have horrible stage fright, but I also enjoyed. And then shows kept on coming and eventually started hopping in the van with bands and, going around the country so that was 10 years ago this summer man it's crazy that's crazy and so those little interludes that you were doing between sets were, were they spoken word was it similar to what you're putting out right now yes they were spoken word uh what i'm putting out more recently with the music and um you know accompaniments uh is a, is a lot more progressed than what I started with, which was just me yelling stuff. And I mean it like literally yelling. Like I, I love the hardcore scene, you know, played, I almost played exclusively with metal bands. And the first tour I ever did was with a death metal band from, uh, St. Louis, Missouri called in the midst of lions. They were on face down back in the day, which is a Southern California hardcore label. Mm. And, um, so, you know, what I was sharing was just, I always joked about it being the vocalist's version of what the metal band would be like, except without the band. So it fit the shows, but it was pretty, it was, it's pretty cringy, actually, when I think about it now. But I kind of love that that was the start of everything. So uh, to a degree, yeah. And I still love doing just poetry shows, but I've learned how to um, do more than just yell the whole time yeah. uh, at this point too, which is great. So, yeah. How do you classify your genre? Do you consider yourself a, a spoken word artist or is there a specific way that you describe your music to someone who's never heard it? I just describe it as spoken word. Gotcha. Um, I, it's hard to, I, it, I've always been a little bit insecure about how to describe it. Cause you, I don't know, especially I always felt like, well, and I think as a person who isn't 
super ex- or at least wasn't very excited about a lot of poetry. I was hesitant to call myself a poet, but then there was kind of no other word for it other than that. And so for a long time, it just was a blundering mess of, oh, well, I do this thing where I'm, I don't know. And it would just try to spend two. <laughs> and at this point, it's just like, yeah, I'm a spoken word artist and maybe not a traditional one. I don't know. Yeah. I've listened to quite a few podcasts with you and interviews with you and whatnot, and and you're very articulate and well-spoken. Do you feel like you were always blessed with language, or do you feel like the amount you've written has contributed to your ability to articulate yourself? Hmm. First of all, thanks. Mm -hmm. Second, uh, I don't know. I mean, I... It's kind of hard because I have written so much for such a long time. It's kind of hard for me to separate the two if that is the cause of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think grammatically in my writing, it's funny when my mom will get a (laughs) a, a newsletter or something. She was an English major, so (laughs) she's always hit me up like, that's the wrong hyphen links and whatever else is happening, you know, but... um, I don't know, man. I, I can, I mean, I took, I took some public speaking classes like that just required ones like that everybody has to take in high school. So I I remember doing that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. I think, but I never put a lot of specific intentionality into, oh yeah, like be a good speaker. Mm -hmm. And honestly, when I've done speaking gigs that aren't just poetry stuff, it, kind of freaks me out i i don't i know i can do it but it's not like my it's not my strongest suit mm-hmm. and so but i think that over the years reading a lot and writing a lot has definitely benefited me yeah and then um for a lot of the time that i've done some of these especially more of the diy and solo shows I will kind of do a performance and then do a Q&A kind of a thing uh, mm-hmm. at the end. And I think that a lot of that um, kind of like snap of the fingers interaction with people has kind of forced me to hone in on some of those things. So it might just be that I'm well-spoken when I am answering a question that I know the answer to yeah. pretty well. Because yeah. um, I can certainly be a tangential talker mm-hmm. and get everybody confused about what the point is that I'm actually trying to make as well, you know? I mean, from an outsider's perspective, looking in to me, it would seem like the, because I know you journal and whatnot, which I want to talk about as well. But I mean, the amount of, of lyrics that you write for a single song is, Mm -hmm. I mean, 10 times the amount for someone writing like, you know, a basic alternative song or something like that. So the amount of pages that you've written and let me know if you can relate to this because I kind of relate to it, but the amount of pages that you've written almost has established like a treasure trove of words that when you are faced to speak, you can easily pull from because you've said them and expressed yourself and put these words together so many different times that you can just easily pull from it. Do you relate with that at all? I don't know if it's specific words that I do that for, but I think conceptually, I can come back to, oh, yeah, I recognize that because it was a thought of mine when I wrote this part of something. And so I'm going to pull from that. Or I remember the influence that 
caused me to write about this thing that we're talking about. And so I can go back and grab from what, whatever that was at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I do think, I mean, you're definitely half the reason it takes me so long to put out anything new is because of that. It's like, okay, well, this is kind of the length of five normal people songs (laughs) in one deal. And I, and, and to be completely honest, I, I, I'm not sure that that's always the best. I think that I could stand to do a better and better job. And I think in certain scenarios I have of uh, being more concise. And so, and be, but because I have written the way that you described for such a long time, there are definitely moments when I will, I will know that a thing is done, but it's relatively short. And if I'm getting ready to send it out to somebody, so say, I mean, you're talking about lyrics, but for the last three years now, I've been doing this Sunday night letter, is what I call it, for um, some subscription people, kind of like a Patreon model, but I kind of just use my own thing. Mm-hmm. And so that always ends up being pretty long. And sometimes when I send stuff that's super short, I'll feel like bad, like, oh, mm-hmm. no, this isn't worth their money mm-hmm. or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, when in all reality, I mean, there are plenty of, four line poems that are phenomenal at capturing everything that I would spend a thousand words to say. Mm. So I don't know. It goes back and forth, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I want to dive into that, that Sunday night letter a little bit. Um, what, what is a typical letter consist of? Like, are you focusing on a certain content area or what does that look like? You know, at times, and it's it's. I should clarify this just because I I I literally this week, this Friday, I let everyone know that I'm going to be taking a break from it and kind of diving into a couple of other things. And mm-hmm. so, um, but yeah, there's sort of this archive of a uh, hundred and forty eight letters at this point. I started it in May of 2016, and. I was inspired by a designer that I was following in he's based out in New York city and he was writing a weekly letter and it was rad and people were following along and he was talking about how it was keeping him, um, consistent. And to me that was intriguing because consistency is something that I've always struggled with, even though I call myself a writer. (laughs) (laughs) And so I would be like, oh, yeah, writing, writing, writing. People would be like, what are you writing? And I realized I'm not actually writing anything. So Hmm. for the first year or so, I just wrote this weekly Sunday night letter. I called it the LTP Weekly, and I just sent it out to my entire newsletter email list thing. Mm -hmm. And eventually that kind of morphed into, oh, wow, I'm spending more and more time on this. What were you Uh, writing in those letters? Yeah, so it was like – it was – it was – I didn't make maybe even very much like your podcast. I didn't make, I didn't put a category on what they were going to be about. So, Mm. um, the first one that I wrote was called the work life balance. (laughs) Mm. And, uh, that's because I didn't have much of one and frankly can still struggle to have much of one. Um, Sometimes you just feel always on doing any sort of entrepreneurial thing, I assume. Mm-hmm. And so it was about, okay, how do I, 
how do I try to separate these things in such a way that I can have emotional health and be there for, so it, it, you know, you don't need to know about every one, but mm-hmm. that was one. Number two was about some friends of mine who had moved away that I loved and it was a, a hard time. Mm. Um, I wrote about, oh man, that was like kind of at the beginning of a lot of the, um, well, I wrote about the, I wrote about the election at the end of that year mm-hmm. or whenever that happened. I wrote about, um, a lot of the like racially fueled police shootings. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It, it was just literally all across the board. So just like and thoughts so, from Levi's head, basically on really yeah, anything. Yeah, that basically. You're, yeah. Yeah. I kind of pitched it as poems, think pieces and essays and journals that I want to write. That's <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And so then week in and week out, you know, so at this point I've, those guys have gotten a bunch of stuff that now I might, you know, there's a bunch, there's probably at least an EP's worth of poetry that I wrote for them that I never put out publicly. So now it's kind of like, all right, what do I do with a lot of this stuff? But mm-hmm. eventually this far in kind of got to a point where I thought, okay, that was a great run. It really forced me to grow a lot as a writer and as a, and as a person, um, just in, in discipline and self-control and actually sitting down to create something week in and week out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now figured out onto the next thing. So yeah. yeah, the club is still a thing like that subscription based deal is still kind of going to support, you know, whatever creative endeavors are happening. But mm-hmm. as far as the letter now, it's just the archive. It's not ongoing at this point. Got you. But people who subscribe will continue to get exclusive content. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, behind the scenes on stuff, if I'm doing a record or, um, you know, there, there's like, there's quite a bit of footage and, um, different interaction. We use this discord server. I don't know if you are familiar with that, but I hated Facebook. And so Discord's actually like a gaming platform, which is super off brand. <laughs> if that matters to anyone about anything anymore, uh, but uh, I just I don't know that much about gaming, but it's a, it's it's almost like a, a gamified version of Slack, but you can kind of privatize it and That's cool. make it fun and all that. So, so uh, yeah, it's just sort of like an, a little niche micro community that gets extra stuff and can hang out. That's together. awesome. Where, where can yeah. people find that? Uh, on my website, it's just called it's called Fraction. I, I just I, I called it the Fraction Club. Um, based off of this idea that every piece is a part of the whole. Mm. And um, if you wanted to be a part of that too, then you could. And that's sort of, I didn't really create that just for the club. I, um, I've kind of tried to be consistent about that, even in my own life and work too. I, I think a lot of the time uh, I've seen a lot of artists go back and get rid of things from uh, the their past that maybe they're not that excited about or deleting mm-hmm. and that's fine. Like I, I get that, you know, whatever, I, that's not a, it's not a judgment call. People can do whatever they want to do. But for me, um, I mean, there's certainly whether it's mistakes I've made or different things throughout the years of doing this project or just living a life. Um, I kind of wanted that fraction idea to sort of embody this like, yeah, well, I'm not going to get rid of it because it's a part of making me who I am and making you who you are and all of those pieces 
build up the people that we are becoming and blah, blah, blah. So it's sort of this uh, philosophical idea built into the subscription model that I ended up creating as well. That's awesome. Are you still journaling quite a bit? Yeah, yeah. When did you start journaling? So I probably started journaling around the same time that I told you I wrote that first poem. Definitely into sixth grade. I think sixth grade is when I really started. And I've got, you know, I didn't have a computer back then. So I've got notebooks full of journals. And, uh, but, you know, not all of the journal entries were, um, you know, blow by blow breakdowns of what had happened that day. It might have been a poem. Mm. Um, I really used to love those, uh, free write exercises where, mm-hmm. well, when I was in school, they would have you put your pencil to paper and then set a five minute timer and say, you can't lift your pencil from the paper for five minutes. So yep. Yep. it doesn't matter what, you know, what you write, it doesn't matter. You just have to do this exercise, but I loved it. And then I would go home and I would do it on my mom's computer and I would set the timer for like an hour. And then at the end of it, I would just have so much stuff that was just absurd or cool or yeah i don't know you know whatever it ended up being um but uh so so yeah i've I've journaled for a long time i go through i you know i i get i'm more or less consistent at different times Mm -hmm. uh in my life uh recently um, in the last year, I bought this typewriter from a guy in Northern Oregon, and that's been super fun to write on mm. and uh, kind of started actually using it for a couple of ideas for Levi the Poet as well. And I use Evernote. I've used Evernote since, I don't know, forever mm-hmm. and have hundreds <laughs> of entries and stuff on there. I think because I like to detail a lot, uh, typing is generally easier for me at this point. Yeah. Um, but it's also a little bit more mindless because um, it, again, back to that precision thing, um, I don't have to try as hard to really think about what's gone on if I can just free flow. Yeah. And so I'll return to writing if I feel like, okay, I'm sort of out of touch though. <laughs> mm, yeah. Is your Is your journaling process recently similar to what you were doing earlier like it's just kind of whatever's on your mind might be a poem might be you know a thought or whatever or do you have like a specific way you go about journaling now i don't have a specific way i go about it Mm -hmm. um i i i think that i should frankly um so that's a poignant question at this point Mm -hmm. i think I think a lot of journaling for me has looked a lot like fleshing out the stuff that stresses me out. Um, I kind of get to be like a stress journaler and I've struggled with, uh, you know, and I've talked a lot about that through the project too, but really wrestled with a lot of anxiety and some mental health stuff throughout the years. And I think journaling at certain points in time has been really good for helping me come to a conclusion about what some of that is. But at other times, and this is when I end up pulling back from it, I feel as though, well, I just know that that it doesn't really help it. It just becomes circular and insular, you know, mm-hmm. and just like kind of a diving further into all of this stuff that um, a walk around the park would do a whole lot better of a job of getting rid of for hmm. me, you know? Hmm. So, um so there has been some intentionality there as well about pulling away 
from diving deeper into the place that I'm trying to get out of, which sometimes writing can be for me. Yeah. I want to get into some of the mental health stuff um, because I know sure. you've been outspoken about that and whatnot, and I think you are you have some wisdom to share there. Um, can you speak a bit about the anxiety and depression you faced and then also kind of highlight some things that have helped you progress through it? Yeah, I can try. Well, I wrote, I wrote a piece that I just called anxiety in all caps <laughs> and I released it with, um, a, in conjunction with, uh, to write love on her arms. They've been huge. Uh, they've been a huge part of my life and my family's life over the last, oh wow, eight years now. My dad committed suicide in 2011. Mm. And so there's some mental, and that was largely because of some, some mental health issues. And so, and that, and those, those are, hereditary and they do run in my family although um by the grace of god i think that my sister and i have been spared from the full brunt mm. of his uh of, of his pain um but there's certainly still some lingering uh noise there my it's funny my friend was talking to me uh, the other day um asking Actually, maybe Craig, I think you had him oh, on yeah. your podcast. Yep, yep. And he was he was talking to me the other day, and he was like, you know, how, what is your mind like? Because I've come to the realization that my head just goes and goes and goes, and then I get an idea, and then I do it, but I don't know anything about uh, kind of the negative. Is your head negative? Hmm. And, uh, and I would say that that's some of what I struggle with. It, it kind of ends up being this sort of chronic indecision and chronic negativity yeah um that is just pessimistic and sure that everything is going to fall apart mm -hmm. right away and uh and so but at the same time that doesn't that doesn't stop me from having ideas so i i'll have a thousand ideas but then i'll get paralyzed before i can implement any of them and then i just end up feeling very stuck and mm -hmm. that only perpetuates the anxiety mm -hmm. and so that's definitely uh, one of the things that has been um, pretty difficult over the last few years. It's it's like a big uh, cloudy blanket over everything, mm -hmm. and there will be moments of clarity. There's there there are. Well, I'll get I'll get to that actually, but um, so some of it's that. Some of it, uh, you know, you had mentioned Chad at the beginning, I think, before we started recording and the mm -hmm. Kings K guys. And I know that they've written a lot about um, their post-Mars experience or just like, you know, the mm -hmm. whole freaking world is wrestling with what evangelicalism is right now and all of these different things. And so I think that um, there's certainly been a lot of uh, spiritual struggle, uh, like there's been a lot of uh, I've, I've just had a really hard time with it over the years since, uh, since, since Mars, uh, mm -hmm. which was, which ended in 2014. But I went to the school of ministry that they had, it was called retrain back in the day in 2012. Yeah. So I think from 2012 on and people often, you know, I, that's the other thing about like my story or, or whatever is it's everybody's story. Mm -hmm. So it's not mm -hmm. like it's a pity party, but you know, the, the, the post, uh, you know, post seminary <laughs> cloud or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. I think that was, that was kind of a part of it, but then, um, ex 
accentuated by some of the church implosion that happened following that. So that kind of threw me into a spiral and a lot of the, you know, deconstruction, reconstruction stuff has been a part of my journey. Um, Although I think that that's sort of become language that is sold really well, Mm -hmm. but a little bit more of a junk drawer word at times. But even if it's cliche, it's cliche for a reason. I'm definitely not going to say that does. I mean, I, I very much was a part of that myself. So mm. all of that to say, um, yeah, it's just been, you know, cause then it's like, well, where's your filter for if I'm already, if there's already anxiety about the rest of life, you're used to funneling it through the filter of the gospel or the mm-hmm. good news or all of these different things. And then that sort of being tossed to and fro on the waves of the sea. Yeah where's your where's your foundation and all of that so um i will say that recently there's been some really cool stuff i just think i just think a lot i i've been pursuing a lot of self-understanding recently i think that one of the conclusions that i came to in relation to many of the things that I'm talking about and at least in conjunction with other people and other relationships and my fan base and different things like that is that at some point in time, I felt like a lot of those relationships became just sort of codependent and I was trying to, you know, not rock the boat for people and that was fine, but it led, uh, maybe it wasn't fine. It led to me not really knowing who I was, uh, Mm. And so I think, I think as I've, as I've tried to discover that, um, whether that's looking at stuff like the Enneagram, which I know folks have found helpful Mm. or whether it's looking at, um, like attachment theory and my upbringing and, and what, uh, what that, you know, what kind of a person I am because of certain familial patterns all of this kind of stuff has been really helpful in giving me tools to Mm. fight against some of what I just assumed would always be that overhanging blanket. Mm. And, um, and I've been extremely grateful for that over the last even few months has has been really helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah, man. The, the whole process of discovering who you truly are and owning who you truly are is long and tedious and tiresome and full of anxiety, but is so necessary to come out on the other side of that blanket and those clouds like that is, and through things, it's not like a a prideful or selfish thing. It's more so just like you, you just need to know who you are, embrace who you are, love who you are, who God created you to be. And then live your life from that point because you're, you are the beloved, you are the chosen one to be on this earth. God placed you here, um, specifically. And, and the Enneagrams helped me a ton as well. Are, are you, are you a four? No, most people think I am, but I'm a nine. You're a nine. Uh, I'm I'm a nine wing one. Nine wing one. Nice. Okay. I'm a four wing three, but I have a lot of nine in me as well. Well, and it's interesting because lately as i've discovered a little bit more about myself and some of that has looked like giving myself permission to say how i actually feel as opposed to because i kind of do a lot of emotional temperature taking when it comes to other people and uh just trying to be 
Mm-hmm. And so the nine is like that, you know, the yeah, nine, that is they a talk nine. in the Enneagram a lot about how they will um, merge. And I always, I didn't really, I kind of hated that because I was like, well, that sounds like lying. It sounds like hypocrisy. It's mm. like, what do you mean you're merging with everyone? And I never felt any less me. And so I, I, I would never have admitted to myself or told anyone else, oh yeah, you act differently depending upon who you're with. I don't, I don't actually think that that's true, but I do think that I, I choose to refrain from voicing what, what I think. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I also think that I've done that for so long that sometimes I don't know what I think. And so as I've gotten to sort of, uh, you know, put into practice some of this learning that I've been experiencing, um, it's been, it's been nice to be able to assert myself a little bit more. It's been helpful for me. That's good, man. I, I totally relate to that as well. I can come off as a little bit of a people pleaser. I'm not super big on conflict, which I know nines, um, embody that same thing. And I, I don't know, man. I just like to think that, and maybe you can relate to this, that I, I listen a lot. I don't have like, if I have an opinion, I'm going to express it, but I don't often have a super strong opinion about something. I'm more so just like, I'll just listen and take people's words in and maybe form a subtle opinion in my own mind, but there's no reason to like debate someone on every little thing. And that's like, I think that's a lot of the nine in me. It's, I don't, I don't need to have a confrontational debate with you right now, even if I don't agree. So it's a lot of the reason that I feel very confused about how to interact with anyone ever on social media in our day and age. Because <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I don't want to be involved in all of these arguments. I don't care about like telling you you're wrong, whether yeah. I think you are or not. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. I, I'll like scroll through stuff or talk to friends or be like. I don't know, man. I just don't care that. I mean, I care. I care. <laughs> yeah. But I don't care enough to try to just get super pissy with somebody about literally everything. Exactly. So, I don't know. Waste but it is life. funny. And I don't know. Are you married? Yes. Okay. So my wife is the opposite of me, where she's very opinionated, very sure about who she is. And at times it can come across as abrasive to me, but mm. I know for a fact that it's been a gift in my life because she's also such a solid rock. Totally. And, um, and there's a lot of wisdom uh, there, even from the calm that she functions from. Mm. And, uh, and so that's been, that's been cool to, to realize as well, as opposed to just fighting against or getting frustrated with yeah. in this process. Yeah, I, I could totally relate to that with my life, my wife as well. I'm a four, and then my wife, Lindsay, she's a three. Um, okay. And yeah, just reading like about how fours interact with threes and stuff like that is, is very helpful, but we're on opposite ends of a lot of things, and she's more outspoken oh, yeah. and opinionated, and I'm more just like laid back, so I could totally yep. relate with you there, man. Um, the whole negativity cloud and the negative thoughts and stuff like that. I I love focusing on that. And I'm a teacher as well. And I talk to my students a lot uh, about that as well. Um, what are some things that have helped you with that negativity cloud? (laughs) Um, I mean, I I was, I definitely wasn't joking when I said I'd be better to go on a walk than sit here and sink and seep it, seep in this, uh, steep, steep is the right word. So I, I, I honestly, I mean, um, exercise like, and I'm still not killing that game. Like my, my wife's a CrossFit coach. And so she's at the gym every single day and I'm definitely not, but I, 
I, uh, I started running a lot more again this year. I ran a half marathon last month and I'm trying to do a full before the end boy. of the year. And, um, so just like kind of setting some goals for myself. I do think that goal setting is a part of it because I can just sort of wake up and be like, Oh, what are we going to do today? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't help the procrastinator who's already in me, let alone mm-hmm. the one who's dead sure he can't do anything today. <laughs> and so just like having an idea of what I'm going for. Um, what have you seen that exercise help with? Like if you could articulate <clears throat> how exercise has helped you. I think it just takes my mind off of it because I'm such an obsessive thinker. And mm-hmm. when I talked about the indecision, that doesn't help with the anxiety or the negativity because then it's like, oh, I decided something. Oh, the next day. Well, there's probably impatience in there too. It's like, oh, the next day, the decision doesn't seem to be going the way that I wanted it to, mm-hmm. <laughs> even yeah. though even though the even though the unfolding of that decision should probably actually take months or whatever. (laughs) It's like, Oh, it's the next day. It's not going that way. I probably should have made a different decision. Let's make a different decision now. (laughs) And it's just this, you know, this nice sort of flip flopping and, um, you know, and so, so I'm trying to be aware of that, like trying to let my yes be yes. And it's taken a lot of, even recently, it's taken a lot of flip-flopping and being like, I can't keep doing this, whether to myself or to the people I'm flip-flopping on. Like I, That's been a lot of the self-awareness that's come recently too, where it's like trying to, I think part of it as well is trying to, um, let's see, how can I say this? Okay, so so the nine talks about how, how he's afraid of conflict. And then I've, I've, I have been studying some more attachment theory a little bit more recently, and um, I, I sort of fall into this role as a pleaser uh, in, their, in that language. And one of the things that they say for my category of people is you need to risk conflict. Like you have to risk being known. Mm. Um, and so, and, 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 and even just hearing that and realizing, oh yeah, I don't risk it for the sake of trying to keep the peace, but then the peace is only kept for everyone except for me. And I'm still functioning on all the negativity and all, or, or, uh, I'm still, um, focusing, not fun- yeah, functioning too, I guess. <laughs> so I think like just trying to, I think trying to be a little bit more actionable, trying to, um, you know, I kind of get frustrated sometimes when people try to use scripture as a prescription for mm-hmm. something, uh, like memorize this verse that will help you feel better. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe sometimes for sure, mm-hmm. uh, like doesn't mean don't memorize it, but I, anyway, so I think like taking your thoughts captive, like that, you know, I was hanging out with my mom on mother's day yesterday and that was something that we were talking about. Take your thoughts captive. Um, consider whether or not this spiral that you are on is actually uh, real or Mm -hmm. whether you're just obsessing over things that haven't even come into fruition, Mm -hmm. living in the future, all of this type of stuff. And I can talk about it a whole lot more than I can practice it. So I'm, I know that if, (laughs) I know that if the folks who are in my circle listen to this, they're like, yeah, cool. Levi knows this stuff cognitively but he hasn't like and that's part of it too is i think learning how to feel and how to articulate those feelings has helped me um 
not just float above myself in this cognitive intellectual space. Uh, I, I'm trying to practice some sort of embodying these things that mm -hmm. I'm wording because I'm always reading something new like you maybe I'm always yeah. hearing a new opinion mm -hmm. um, I I kind of like being not so opinionated about everything but I'm also more aware of the fact that I need to form some of my own for my own health yeah that that would be a good thing for me totally and so trying to do that yeah I man I totally relate with what you said about you cognitively get it, but applying it is a whole different thing. Like I get all these concepts that we're talking about and I have a ton of knowledge and can speak to, I could probably be a counselor for someone else, but oh, for sure. you know, like I, I know <laughs> yeah. all the talking points. I know all the buzzwords, keywords, whatever you want to say. Like I, I yeah. totally get the concepts, but applying yeah. it, getting it and applying it are two different things. Yeah. And that's kind of the goal is where I'm at. It's like, okay, how can, how can I apply what I am learning here? And that, that is where the work is. Yeah. It was I, that made me think of another thing. Um, like meditation and contemplative prayer mm -hmm. has been helpful for me. What does that uh, look like? I want to, I want to dive into that. What, what does yeah. meditation and contemplative prayer look like to you? Honestly, most practically it looks like using headspace to have some guided, uh, just quiet time. Mm which um is funny i always thought it was funny that i needed somebody to teach me how to be quiet or to like you got this guy in your headphones in the background <laughs> who every now and then is saying okay keep breathing keep being <laughs> quiet but there, but for real like I'm just, yeah. it's, it's been so helpful for me it really has over over the years and um and when i'm consistent about it mm -hmm. uh, it's 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 way better obviously but so like in the last couple of years, I, I started to read, you know, it was really hard for me for a long time after go after growing. I mean, I grew up in Vineyard and Calvary Chapel and then was at Mars Hill. And it was really hard for me for a long time to read uh, content that was outside of my tribe, um, mostly because I just had this indwelt fear that my tribe was the only one that was right instilled mm. in me mm. uh and so <laughs> there's a lot i could say about that but i won't go there so <laughs> i so anyway uh, you know in the last few years i think like reading guys like now in merton merton um yeah. just just like these contemplatives um i mean roar is down the street from me in he is legit dude i've i just yeah. came onto his podcast um uh, what's it called? Everything about uh, what's it called? Oh if, yeah, uh, another name for everything. Another name for everything. I this dude yeah. from my church last week just put me onto that podcast, and the first two yeah. episodes just I've I've never heard of Richard Rohr, and I feel like I just discovered a gold mine. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because I I heard about him from sort of the ex ex evangelical movement or whatever, which I'm not the biggest fan of personally, just like kind of defining myself by what I'm not. Um, mm. I, I, I don't know. I, I know that it's a lot more than that. And I, and I have so many friends who are a part of it. So that's a reductionistic viewpoint uh, for, for me to maybe, I don't know, maybe that wasn't the best way of articulating. I, I, but nevertheless, the point that I'm trying to make from it is that I sort of only heard about him from a group of people who was like, 
frustrated with everything, no longer evangelical and now swung over to this guy. And mm-hmm. so, and he was great. And I didn't, you know, and I found so much of what he had to say resonant, especially when it came to helping me slow down, helping me, um, you know, helping, I think with a little bit of this more contemplative type mm-hmm. prayer or, um, or, or emotionally integrative spirituality that, that like where in the past it was just always, well, you know, faith is stronger than feeling. So just to bury all of those, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is sort of the way that I took it. Mm. But it's funny, like my, my uncle studied under him when he was getting his doctorate. Um, my mom has known about him for forever. So I'm bringing up this name, like he's brand new and everyone's like, Oh yeah, he's been around for forever. <laughs> so it's just funny when you come. Yeah. It's another one of those humbling moments when you come to a point of realizing your own naivete about literally everything, you know. Yeah. And um, but 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 all of that to say, I think, yeah, I think just, you know, you were talking about counseling. One of the things that my therapist had said was like, prayer is definitely not bad. I mean, you're 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 following this, but a lot of times prayer at least when you're verbalizing it can just be another circular conversation with yourself where you're repeating all of your anxieties over again, all mm. of the things you're bummed out over again and um, dwelling on all of these things um, as opposed. So why don't you try being just quiet? Why don't you try focusing just on your breathing? Why don't you try practicing be still and know that God is God mm. as opposed to being really noisy inside of yourself before god yeah um or or maybe not before uh, well always before but mm-hmm. acting like it's a conversation or acting like you're listening at all yeah. so um it's been i'm saying all of these things i <laughs> i'm very much in process and who's not in their life mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but um you know i think bits and pieces of all of this that these things that I'm trying to put, uh, invest into for the sake of, of the benefit that I've seen uh, in my life and in, in my family and all of this stuff. Um, and, I, and I hope to, in the relationship that I have with um, fans and as Levi the poet and all of that too, I, I don't, you know, I, I think that some of that codependence extends that far as well and it's really hard to function as a pleaser with 20,000 people who all have a different opinion about every single thing that you're saying and hoping that they'll all still like you at the end of it yeah yeah that's tough man what what are some other tidbits or concepts or information um anything like that that your counselor has given you that that you've seen fruit from the thing that has been the most helpful for me has been this idea of um even getting a list that's just called feeling words. Like there's a book and I've written about it for my, for my club and for whoever wants to hear about it. But there's a book that I would highly recommend if this is the topic that we're on called how we love mm. by Mylan and Kay Yurkovic. And technically it's a marriage book. So the subtitle is discover your love style, enhance your marriage. Hmm. But if you go to howwelove.com, um, uh, if I'm completely honest, their website looks like it's not um, the most gl- glamorous website, but um, there's like a quiz on there and it's not it's not long. It'll take you 
three minutes probably to answer these questions. And then they categorize people into different love styles and uh, one of five different sections. And I know that, you know, there's a 7,000 personality test that everyone's always talking about. This isn't really that. It's more based upon um, wounds and um, your past. And therefore, their proposal is that you can heal from it and you don't have to stay in that category. Um, so when I talked about being a pleaser, it was like, okay, well, you don't always have to function as a pleaser. You can, you can look back and see what made you that way. And then you can work on healing from that and become a more secure connector with whoever it is that you're connecting with in your life. Mm. And dude, it has been so impactful to me. And there's this list of feeling words that they put at the end of it. It's literally called that. And I know that that's not new to them. Attachment theory is, is, you know, a thing in and of itself, but there's these feeling words. And for me, like just looking at those and being like, how, how is this making me feel? Cause like I said, I have a hard time discerning that. And I think that that kind of has come as a shock to some of the people that I've talked to about it because like you, they assume I'm a four and I just am always feeling everything all the time. And I'm super good at articulating it because I wrote some poems that made them feel things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like I don't feel anything or it's not like I don't sometimes know, but more often than not, I will, you know, anxiety has a way of sort of, uh, you know, covering up whatever it is, or I'll defer to anger because uh, that's the easiest thing to feel. And, and it's just sort of, and so anyway, How We Love, it's a great resource. And I've, get, I've, I've bought probably 20 copies on Amazon now and just wrote up a letter and given them away to different people that I love. Mm. And it's kind of a weird book to give away because if you, I mean, if somebody gives you a marriage book, <laughs> your first response is probably going to be, why the hell are you giving me this marriage book? Like, yeah. what's wrong with my marriage? What are you judging me for? All of this stuff, you know? Yeah. And um, it's not, it's not that, man. It's just like, man, this made such a huge impact. It was so, I'll, I'll tell you this, since you're an Enneagram fan, the way that I've described it is that the Enneagram has helped given, the Enneagram has given me language for how I am. And how we love and some of this attachment style stuff has given me language for why. Mm. And um, it's not an easy process, you know, because you're kind of looking at your past and being like, oh, and then you're seeing the patterns that you have. And there's all these kind of groupings that we do. You know, if you and your wife were to do it together, then it would kind of but, you know, you would it would show you kind of what your patterns probably are based upon the category that you're in and then how to work past them. And um, but like I said, it definitely applies to more than just um, marriage. I've given them to plenty of single and divorced and, you know, whoever, all, mm-hmm. all kinds of folks. So that's probably the best suggestion that I have right now for uh, something that has been very impactful in my life. Mm, I'll, I'll definitely check that out. I, you, I typically ask, ask my guests towards the end about sure. three books that they'd recommend. So that'll be your first. Do you have two other books that you yeah. would recommend uh, the listeners to read and why? Ooh, 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 ooh. That is so could, good. Um, let me see. And I'm they could be from work. any genre. I've had dudes suggest Harry Potter, and I've had yeah. dudes suggest Think and Grow Rich. So you can pull from really anything. 
Well, I'll give you this. Um, So that that book I just recommended is good. Another one that's great that um, sort of introduced me to kind of the world of contemplative prayer and things like that uh, is a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's by a guy named Peter Cesaro. I think I think that's how you say his last name. And he's a he's a pastor. Um, he, He actually might have stepped I know he's built kind of a whole thing around this idea of emotionally healthy spirituality, but um, I want to say he's a pastor out of New York. And for me, he was really helpful coming out of, not coming out of entirely. I think I still kind of defer to a lot of reformed thought, Mm. but coming out of a really unhealthy neo-Calvinistic situation Mm -hmm. this dude was still kind of enough a part of that world for me to feel comfortable enough to dive into what he had to say Mm. but he was also offering so much more in the realm of emotion you know emotional health and um you know so so that was that was great and um I mean, there's so many that I could recommend. I'll just go with a fiction series. I love Stephen King very much. (laughs) And his dark, his dark tower series is like my Harry Potter. Really? Um, He, he wrote it as inspired by Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and wanted to create an epic like that. And obviously I don't think that anything will ever quite live up to Mm. what that was, but I loved it. And if you're familiar enough with the Stephen King sort of with his writings and with certain other books, this one is sort of like, you know how you have the Marvel universe? Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's sort of like his universe. So I'll read it and then I'll realize, oh, this character from this part of the story is from it. And that one's from the Shawshank Redemption. And then this one is from Pet Cemetery, And yeah, it's wow. it's pretty wild, dude. It's yeah. it's um I loved it. I absolutely loved it. We did it all on Audible over the course of a year on tour and it was so fun. That's There's awesome. like seven of them though. I mean, it's no small investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of time. My dad will be stoked good. to hear that because he's he's been on a Stephen King uh kick lately, so I might have to check it's that so out as good. well. Awesome. I'll give you this though. I will tell you this. I didn't like the first book, which was one of the first books that he ever wrote, I think. From uh-huh. from what I understand, I might be butchering this, but I think he started the series when he was really young, and mm-hmm. then he put it down. And there's a there's a huge gap of years between the first and the second book, let alone the remaining five. Mm. And so I think that it kind of shows, in my opinion. But you absolutely need. So I almost gave up. I wrote my friend Josh Gaines, who's also an author out of Denver, and I was like you recommended this to me and it sucks. (laughs) So do I, should I stick with this or not? Yeah. And, uh, he was like, you just have to. And he was right. I mean, you need it. It's kind of slow. It's a little tedious, but you need it. And it's well worth it. It's kind of, do you watch game of Thrones? You know it, dude. It's kind of like the first episode of game of Thrones. You start watching and you're like, everyone was recommending this to me. And now I got zombies in the snow and headless girl, (laughs) 12 year olds. Like, I don't know if I'm feeling this. Uh And then you get sucked in forever. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. The last thing 100%. I want to the last thing I want to ask you about, man, is um, just your thoughts on social media because I know that you take significant social media breaks, and yeah, and I'm just curious why is that important to you, and what do you think social media is doing to your mind or our minds or the youth minds? Just what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. Well, I I don't. I'm I'm always sort of hesitant to speak, uh, you know, generationally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might have, but I but I can certainly say my experience. Um, I I just think, I I just think I can get addicted to it. Like I just think I can spend too much time on it, and I, it's it's kind of it. It feels like a catch twenty two to me at times because there are aspects of it, like all people, I'm sure, that I just love, like that I have so much fun with, that are jokes, and I I always loved Twitter way before. Mm, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I guess not way before it came out. Man, I put it on my phone in '08, and I started touring in '09. So, um, but I, you know. I, so it's so fun and it's a fun way to interact and there's hilarious, wonderful life giving things that are on the internet. Mm -hmm. And then there's not also. (laughs) And, and, um, I think I can get really bought. I, I, I can, I get bogged down enough in my own head as it is without everyone else's thoughts. And, um, I can get, yeah, just overwhelmed, like kind of paralyzed where I'm just like, man, there's so much going on. There's so many things that everyone is saying so many things about. And sometimes it feels like this void that everything is just becomes lost in. And I question at times whether or not I have anything significant to add to it. And then I don't add anything, but I'm just still on it, looking at all the other things everyone else is adding to it. Mm-hmm. And it can just, it can get to a point where it just becomes really unhealthy for me. And there's a little bit of a catch 22, maybe I already said that thing that I feel about it with doing Levi the Poet stuff, because it's like, well, I need that, yeah. sort of. It's a huge to, platform like, for that's, artists. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the way that stuff gets out there. Mm-hmm. And but then yeah, but then there's also this other thing where it's like like I made these Gilbert pins today. Like my cat's name is Gilbert. We made patches and pins. It's the dumbest project ever, but it's funny and I <laughs> thought it was funny and that and I've been yelling at my cat on Instagram for years and that's what I decided <laughs> I wanted to do is just make something fun. So I'll, you know, it'll be like but then God, there's just so much going on in the world. And it's like, it can literally make me feel like, why in the world did, do I think it's a good idea to post about a stupid Gilbert pin when this school shooting just happened? And this, it's it's just, I, I, I struggle at times to know how to interact. And, and I also don't want to become just numb to everything that's always happening, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um. And then I do, and then there's certainly, I mean, definitely, man, there's definitely a uh, a wrestling with covetousness, I think, when it comes to social media, even though you're well aware, again, cognitively, that everyone's life is not their 
southern mexico vacation bikini (laughs) picture thing but it's just like oh i want to be there i'm probably not doing good enough to be there Mm -hmm. i got you know yeah and and these thoughts are like i mean i'm saying them out loud now and i know that it's absurd but at the same time it's really hard to know that it's absurd when that's what you're constantly what's in front of your eyes and so for me um yeah there have just been times where i've realized okay you know, this might not be the main cause of everything that I'm experiencing internally right now, but I know it's not benefiting it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to just let folks know, Hey guys, see you in a little while. I I need this for the sake of my own health. And that's something I kind of started to put into practice more over the last probably two years. And, um, it always freaks me out a little bit when I do it because then you're not in front of people's eyes and then you're being an artist who's supposed to be in front of people's eyes, you know, but I don't know. I I don't know. It's just, it's what I've had to do at times. And so I've, um, I've, I've tried to pay a little bit more attention to when it's necessary and be diligent about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's important, man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Sweet man. What's, what's next for Levi the poet? What do you, what do you have on the table? Man, that's such a good question. <laughs> I um, I've been home. So we we played a festival in January, and then I have been home since the beginning of February. Um, that was the last show I did, and to be honest, that's not super abnormal for me. Uh, for like last year, I did a run in March, um, but I, I I sort of start gearing up in the summer. However, um, I do think that this year is going to be a slower year for us when it comes to tour. Uh, we, you know, we just kind of decided, um, you know, we've been going pretty hard, pretty nonstop for literally 10 years. Mm. And, um, I needed a breather. And so we pulled back. I've been doing some freelance writing. Um, I have been, uh, doing some creative writing for other folks. I've been trying to, you know, work with the concepts that I've got for whatever my next thing is going to end up being. And some of those are there and they're kind of scattered throughout my, whatever I'm writing them down in. So I definitely have, I've got some things that I think are in the works, but I'm sort of hesitant to talk about Mm. I'm just, well, not talk about, I'm just hesitant to promise anything because I'm in the middle of this sort of transition, um, or this break time where I'm like, you know, trying to be a normal human and like work on the yard. That's still a disaster after (laughs) buying this house five years ago, uh, cause I'm never here and whatever, you know? So, um, so there will be things, but the things are yet to be seen. That's gotcha. the answer. <laughs> got you, got you. Well, people yeah. will have to stay tuned. Where can people find you online? I mean, if you search Levi the Poet on any social or that's the website too, um, it's you'll find it. So Sweet. Levi the Poet's the easiest thing. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it, man. Levi, thank you so much for doing this, man. This was awesome. Yeah, 100%. Thanks for being patient with me after I missed our last meeting. All good, brother. All right, guys. Later. Special thanks to King's Kaleidoscope for the instrumental used on the intro and outro of this podcast. 
Also a big thanks to the good people over at Capital Floats, which is Northern California's premier sensory deprivation or float tank facility. I am a frequent user there and I absolutely love it. And for listeners of this podcast, they're offering an exclusive deal, which is three floats for $120 or 20% off the normal price. Just go to capitalfloats.com, choose the three float intro package and use the promo code life enchanted with no spaces at checkout. Please remember that I am not a doctor, so definitely consult with your physician before making any sudden diet, supplement, or lifestyle changes suggested on any of these episodes. If you're interested in connecting with me, you can send an email to nick, N-I-C-K, at mylifeenchanted.com, or you can find me on Instagram at mylifeenchanted. Peace.